Okay, well, folks, good morning and uh, welcome, especially if you've joined us as we've been worshiping the Lord there together. Are there any Welsh amongst us this morning? I thought it would still derive that same um, response, so uh, fair play to anyone who's Welsh. Um, But there we go, there we go. Um, You you join us, folks, uh, as we continue our discussion, as we continue our conversation around this whole area of discipleship. And uh, you type in a Google discipleship, you're going to get a whole load of different stuff. And um, we in the church, we uh, we have our own ideas, we have our own thoughts, and over the years kind of culminated different different types of things to do with discipleship and we very much want to look at what the scriptures teach and how Jesus actually did this thing called discipleship that he called 12 guys to be with him and he actually gave them the name as disciples and we want to uh, delve into that but we want to look at things this morning and we want to say this we want to start right at the very beginning that much of um, discipleship in the past that I think that we've come at it from this viewpoint that it's about surviving the culture rather than transforming the culture. I'll say that again because it's quite good. Uh, that most of discipleship is actually designed within our churches to prepare ourselves to survive the culture instead of actually go transform the culture. And it's very, very different. And we want to say here, right here, right now, that Jesus never intended that. Jesus took 12 guys around himself not to take them out of the world, not to take them and protect them and look after them and shepherd them and keep them aside, but he took 12 men that they would come follow him, lay down their lives, because that's what we're saying discipleship is about. He brought them to be with him, to be like him, that they would go transform culture and society. And that's what it means. It means to be a follower of Jesus, that we would lay down our lives and that we would go transform the culture and society in which we're a part of. Uh, And yet over the years, you know, we, again, we, I say we when I mean the church, the church, we, and we're part of that. We have constructed this mentality of almost like a castle mentality. Some of you might have heard of this analogy before. But a little bit like we, uh, we, we like our four walls. We're good with walls, right? Picture a castle. We've got one nearby which will help us. And, and yet we are, have been prone in the past to creating a culture where we like to be together, where we construct the walls and we keep ourselves safe from the big bad world that's around us. And what we tend to do from time to time is we lower the drawbridge and we run out and we go and do mission. And we go out there and we evangelize for a wee bit. We get really brave. And uh, if we're really lucky, we might snatch a couple and bring them back in, bring the drawbridge up again, and then we make them like us. I'm being slightly facetious, right? We have taken people from the streets to the seats. But if we're not careful, that's where we remain. And that's not what it's about. It's about taking people from the streets, not always to the seats, because they don't need to, but that we equip and we send them back out again. Why? To go and be salt and light, to go transform culture and society around us. 
going to look at a passage from John 17. Hopefully the words will come up there for us. And we're jumping way ahead, way ahead. We're jumping kind of, Jesus has done lots of stuff with the disciples. We're going to go right back to the start again soon. But I want to go right to the end. It's in John. Jesus is about to go be with the Father. He's about to go to the cross and then go back to be with the Father. And he prays specifically for his disciples. And he says this. This is his prayer to the Father for his disciples. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. He's obviously talking about his disciples. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. We begin here. My prayer is is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. I remember hearing as an early Christian, you've probably heard this phrase, uh, this, this phrase, uh, that we as Christians are meant to live in the world, but not of the world. You heard that? Yeah? And I actually thought it was in the Bible. And uh, it's not. But I'm guessing that it's derived from these verses and probably similar verses. And somewhere along the lines, we've kind of coined that phrase that we're meant to live in the world, but not of it. And I get that, and I agree with it. But equally, if we interpret that phrase based upon the scriptures, if we interpret that, we can make it to mean that we're called to live in the world but not allow all its pollution and all the rest to affect us, which is true, which is right, but that we just separate ourselves and remove ourselves from everything that is worldly. When Jesus is actually calling us to go into the world and to be salt and light, to transform and illuminate and expose where there's darkness and bring it to light, and so what we can do is we can create all our holy huddles. And don't get me wrong, I'm good about meeting together. That's why we have life groups. That's why we encourage you to do that. But if that's all they are, just holy huddles, and they're not preparing us to live in the real world and not preparing us to lead us to lost people and lost people to Jesus, then we're, we're at fault. We're, we are removing ourselves completely from the world. We are meant to be in it we're not meant it to affect us, but we are meant to affect it. We are not meant to let it pollute us. 
We are meant to transform it. This is where we come to the, the, the phrase there. Most of, uh, some discipleship, we have approached discipleship in a way that helps us to survive the culture. And we're saying this morning, actually, we're meant, discipleship is meant to help us transform uh, the culture. Jesus prays, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. There is power in the name of Jesus. Jesus gives us the power and the authority upon every dark and evil force. There's amazing things that can happen in the name of Jesus. Demons go in the name of Jesus. And uh, it's not in the notes, but I just thought, uh, I've been there. Pray for people where, we, where you've seen someone. This might freak some of you out. It's okay. You can talk to me about it afterwards if this freaks you out. But where there's demonic oppression upon a person, you know that in the name of Jesus, you have authority to cast out that stuff. You do. It's all in the Bible. Jesus equips us as his disciples, to go do that stuff, to go to the dark places and actually do that stuff in the name of Jesus. He is praying to the Father, not that they would take them out of the world and, and all the rest, uh, or to keep them from sinning too much. He is saying, protect them from the evil one because he knows that going to those places is going to be difficult and the evil one will come uh, against us remember that discipleship being a disciple is a pupil and that pupils learn from teachers and remember what I said that last week the most kind of prized part of learning is this bit right now is the sermon it's really really important and yes it has its place it is important in this time that we have together but it's not the only way in which we learn as we become a follower of Jesus. There are many, many other ways, and we call them spiritual disciplines. We have a, an image, hopefully, that will come up, and I hope that you're able to see it. Um, uh, spiritual disciplines are ways or practices or training methods kind of at our disposal that we have, and uh, I commend them to you. There's a, a well-known book. Um, let's just take a look. Uh, there's loads and there's the headings at the top and there's loads of different ways there. I would commend them to you. They're all practices. Opportunities to learn as a pupil. Remember the context is about being a follower of Jesus, being more like him, laying down our lives. And I would commend these things to you. A well-known written book, many of you will have it on your bookshelves. The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. An excellent book. Spiritual disciplines are fantastic things that we would do, that we would practice, and they will help us become more Christ-like. But here's the point I want to make. Without the Spirit, they're just disciplines. They're just things that we do for the sake of doing them. Oh, I'm meant to do that, so I'm just going to do that. Now hear me right here. I'm not saying this morning that if you're struggling to read your Bible, don't read it. I'm not saying that. 
But what I am saying is we need the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in order to bring these disciplines alive, that we want to do them, that we want to do them. And those which are birthed out of passion, they are the ones which sustain us and fuel us and make us more like Jesus. Uh, we were discussing this a couple of weeks ago. And uh, sometimes some of these things can really benefit us in certain parts of our lives or certain seasons. And I've asked Chantel just to share briefly uh, what I mean by that. Um, I guess I haven't seen this list that Paul's put up on the screen, but the one I'm probably going to say about is intercessory prayer. Um, and it's just one tiny example, but um, just before the summer holidays, we were in church and someone had a word about um, marriages and um, maybe someone's marriage was going through a difficult time. And we gave out that word that morning and someone came to chat to us about that, um, about their marriage. And then within the space of a few weeks, I'd chatted to a couple of other people. Plus, I'd heard from a couple of other friends, you know, not from Carrick, about um, their marriages being in trouble. And I just felt like God really put it on my heart to pray for marriages. So when we were on holiday, um, the first three weeks of the summer and then during the kids' summer holidays, I had like this little list in the back of my journal of eight different marriages that I wanted to pray for. So each day I would just pray for them and pray for those people and just pray for, you know, whatever I felt for each one for God to, you know, bless their marriages. And then I was just um, chatting to the guys when we were discussing all the discipleship and I just thought to myself, oh, I haven't really prayed that much for those marriages recently. And uh, you know, I started to think about it in the context of what we're talking about today. And I felt like God was saying, you know, that was um, for that time. God had put it on your heart. And it's not that I'm not going to pray for those people or those marriages or marriages in general. Don't get me wrong. But I was realizing that I was going to start beating myself up and feeling guilty. And it was becoming like a legalistic thing, like a list, like a thing I had to do. It was a discipline. It wasn't birthed out of my... Um, compassion for those people or my passion for marriage which I obviously still have so I need to either go back to God and say you know I need to inquire of the Lord about that and it not just be a thing that I do so I need to say God what are you calling me to do here you know do you want me to keep praying for those people are there other marriages you know or how do I put this into practice so I just wanted to share that of a tiny example of how something that is birthed out of a passion and a compassion and a word even that was given and people responding that was something that came from the Holy Spirit but I could have made it into you know a discipline a thing a thing a rod so just to encourage you if there's things that you're trying to do and you're struggling just ask God just inquire of him and say God what are you calling me to do for this season because sometimes there's different disciplines for different seasons and it's not a real thing Brilliant. well done brilliantly explained much better than me I could have done as you sent me into the world I have sent them into the world he's sending us he's calling us to to go to go and to make disciples where he has you where you are where he's leading take that which God has given you and just go at what point in your Christian journey do you think you're ready to go it's just I'm asking questions here. I'm not necessarily looking for a response. What do you need to do in order to go? What do you need? 
What time frame are we talking about? What are the processes that are required for you to go? Just go. Straight away. If you know and you love Jesus, you want to go give it away, just go. Brilliant story to look at briefly is the woman at the well. She encounters Jesus. She's discipled by Jesus in a short conversation in the heat of the sun. Her life at that point is transformed. She immediately goes to her community. She tells them all, come see this man who told me everything about me. Jesus stays two days. The whole community is affected and impacted because of this one woman's testimony and story. Had she completed a theological degree? Had she been a Christian for many years? Had she been married for years with 2.4 children? Was she a man? Was she good living? Had she overcome all her pain from her broken past relationships? Was she free from her sin? They're all no. Was she ordained to go and make disciples? Yes. Yes, she was. You see, so many of us disqualify ourselves already. I'm not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I have all this stuff going on. I have all those hurts, hang-ups, habits. Just keep you from doing it. Just keep your way. If your heart is right, you want to give it away, you're qualified. You are ordained for such a time as this. You're ordained. Oh, but I just want to clean myself up a bit. Just want to uh, just work on that bit. Yeah, uh, actually, once I get past all the busyness of raising the kids or if I just earn a bit more money or if I just this and I just that, Guys, that day never comes. You've just got to do it now. Where you are, with what you've got, whatever God has given you, whatever God has placed within your hands. Here's the thing. You grow as you go. You grow as you go. So true. When you begin to step out in faith and all that stuff, you have to rely upon God. And all those other things that are just keeping you back seem to look after themselves. If you're willing to step out and just go for it, he does the rest for you. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus was without sin, therefore he was sanctified. And it's through him that we become sanctified. At the cross of Jesus and on the moment of conversion for us, we are justified for our sin, but it takes a lifetime to become sanctified, which means made holy. Jesus, as we, as we pursue him and we pursue the things he's called us to, he looks after that stuff. It's called sanctification. He makes us holy. But so much of it comes through just being obedient to what God's called us to. It's not found in the holy huddles, just in the holy huddles, separating and removing ourselves from this big bad world. One of the discipleship practices that we've done 
in order to survive the culture is we create accountability groups or accountability relationships. And I get that. I understand that. And I think it's good that we are accountable towards one another. But you know what? They only work if we're willing to tell the truth. Is that right? Otherwise, there's no point in those. So, uh, the challenge this morning is, instead of creating accountability groups, how about we create impossibility groups? Groups where we gather around each other and say, man, look at that part of culture and society. That, that just seems impossible to change that. Or what about that aspect? That's just impossible. In the ways of the world, that, that there, that's impossible. But God is the God of the impossible. So why don't we go after that stuff and lean upon God and draw upon his resources and invite him into the mix and live salt and light in those different places and with those people. And we ask and we invite God to change that which we thought was impossible and make it possible. All that other stuff just deals with itself and we become a follower of Jesus and we lay down our lives and we become more like him. Going to give you an example. Uh, an example of culture and society, which I think um, is an impossible area to change. It's Irish League football. I think it's fantastic that Carrick Fergus are in the, what's it, is it the, called the Premier League? What's it, is that what it's called? Yeah, okay. So in the top, thanks Brian, uh, you're, the, you're, the, you're the man to ask. If you want tickets, Brian's your man. <clears throat> so I think it's fantastic that Carrick, our, our, the team of our town are in this top division. It's great. And uh, I, I went along to a couple of matches at the beginning of the season. Linfield were playing and uh, Glen Torren were playing uh, very closely within about three or four days of each other. They actually had more fans than Carrick Fergus had, by the way. And, uh, and I was there. I took the kids and uh, went, with, uh, went with their grander as well. And... Uh, and I wasn't shocked, because I knew what to expect, but I was appalled. Uh, the behavior on the pitch and off the pitch, some of the time, a lot of the time, it's just appalling. And, you know, you see grown men standing there, hurling the most vile abuse, because that's what it is, towards each other on the pitch. Like, where else? I mean, I saw this grander. It was an age of a grander. Like, it was as close as I am to you there. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what was coming out of his mouth. We were standing there, actually. There were two or three of us with a, with a group of kids, our son being one of them. They were playing at half-time. And this guy was just hurling the most vile stuff. And one of our coaches, he, he turned around and said, he said, excuse me, mate, not in front of the kids. He turned around to him and he told him where to go. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, we're trying to teach these kids. This is, football is a fantastic sport. And we're trying to teach them a different way. And yet they're standing there, listen to this stuff. You get the picture, right? I spoke to a number of people about this afterwards and I, I told them my experience and, 
And I say, you know, it's great to go and watch a football. And I do, I do enjoy going and watching. I enjoy taking the kids. But listening to some of the stuff, I was just, I couldn't believe it. And this is their response. That's just football. That's just football. And I was like, I get that. That is just football. That is just the way it is. But I don't agree with it. And it's not enough. I'm like, that, that, that needs to change. That, that seriously needs to change. And how does that change? Changes with individuals who are willing to live differently in that culture. I spoke to one of the coaches, the coach that was told where to go. Uh, is a young fella uh, in the town, a very, very good coach. And uh, very influential with, with, uh, with uh, children that he coaches and with adults too. And I just said to him, I said, I, I said about it. I said, you've, you've the authority to change a culture here. You've the ability to go change a culture. If you li- he's a Christian fella. Um, if you live it out, if you're salt and light to those that you influence, you've the ability to change things. One of the Glen Torren players uh, is a carrot lad too. And, uh, and I spoke to him literally about 10 minutes afterwards. I saw him as well. I said, it was fantastic. I enjoyed watching you play and blah de blah I said, you've the ability not just to play good football. You've the ability to be salt and light in that community. Live it out. Live it out. Go be different. Go change that. Some of you who are older here, who've lived and grown up, and this has been your home, this is your country, this is your nation, and you've, you've thought, goodness, you've looked at the terrible things that have happened and have been said and all, all that stuff. That's an impossible, how can that ever change? And yet you're seeing it before your very eyes. And we still look, don't we? And we still hear and we watch the news and we think, oh, goodness, the parliament and in that area and those people and oh. Step by step, living it out, gathering people face to face, sharing our lives, sharing the love of Jesus, being salt and light in communities has the power to change impossible things if we do those things we lay down our lives and we follow Jesus and we become more like him and we transform the culture not just survive it we are not a church that wants to build up the walls and be safe and cozy we are a church that yes we gather together but we go make disciples we go and influence We go, pollute is the wrong word. (laughs) We go transform because we're transformers. We're not robots in disguise. (laughs) Folks, I, I know that this is hitting home with a lot of us. I know because it's really challenging many of you and really encouraging you actually. And some of the conversations that I'm having with folks during the week is just so exciting. It's brilliant. Be having those with each other as well. Be having those. Spur one another towards good works. Go do the stuff. We're coming into land. And um, that's that. 
We're going to worship just a little, and uh, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to see what God wants to do amongst us. So when's the next Carrick match, home match, Brana? Coleraine. Great stuff. If you want tickets, go see Brian. Can you do us a deal? (laughs) Folks, let's stand together.